Uh, thanks for braving the cold and coming out to join us tonight. Uh, I know that, yeah, I know it's chilly out here, so I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and uh, ad lib this and try and shorten it a bit so that we're not uh, not quite so cold. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it's good to be with you tonight. I'm glad. I'm glad you take the time. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ministry to me, if anything. If you get a chance, thank uh, thank Nathaniel for sharing, because that is a, a you know a weird thing to stand up in front of your peers and bear your soul. So if you get a chance to thank him, do so. Um, so we're we're going to continue pressing on with our study of the Book of Acts. Um, we are reading the Book of Acts because it applies so much to what it feels like to be a Christian, what it is like to be a Christian. Uh, in the moment that we find ourselves right now, uh, the challenges, and uh, I, uh, I've just been amazed by it. So I hope you have too. And uh, we'll start off like this. I don't, know, I don't remember. Uh, if, I, I don't know if you all have ever felt alone, like really, really alone. I know there have been plenty of times in my life when I have felt very alone. One of the most poignant times was when I went to college. I went to college in New York City, uh, which is for all the people in it a very lonely place. And I'll never forget when, uh, my, when I first moved to New York City, I moved into my dorm and I was the first person in the dorm and uh, my family had kind of helped me unpack all my stuff and then they left. And they got on a plane and they went back to Colorado and I was in New York City and I didn't really know anybody and how alone I felt, how abandoned I felt. Uh, and I, that sticks with me for, um, Man, it sticks with me today. I can still remember that feeling of alone, that feeling of abandonment. And uh, I know that we've all felt that way. We've felt this, this, this really powerful aloneness. Um, and some of us have maybe felt it socially. I know that many of us have felt it spiritually, where you look into your life, your faith, and you say, is, where is God? Is God present? Has God abandoned me? And uh, that is a very normal feeling, and that's one that the church has experienced and wrestled with for many years. And so what we're going to look at tonight is a piece of scripture where all of, the, all of the evidence indicates that both a person and the church are alone. And yet, even though the evidence externally points to that, we'll see that God is actually more present than we would maybe think, more present than we realize in the midst of that, and and I, and I hope that you uh, you come away with that both encouraged, um, and comforted, and and equipped uh, that that God, even in the midst of overwhelming oppression, even persecution and death, the feelings of abandonment, God is with us, and God is with His church. Um, and so I just want to set the stage a little bit for what we're going to look at. Oh, and as I'm talking up here, if you have questions. Or uh, if you don't like something I said, shoot me a text and we will dialogue with those questions afterwards. Um, so I'll set the stage a little bit. If you remember last week, we looked at some of the internal problems of the church. The church has seen um, some real, uh, it's beginning to see, you know, greed and selfishness. This week we're pivoting and we're going to look at another round of external opposition or oppression on the church. And for t tonight, we're actually going to start to see some real persecution happen in the church. Uh, legit uh, oppression from outside forces. And um, so what's going on here is this small group of Christians in the, in the first century, 2,000 years ago, are in Jerusalem, and they're growing so fast. And it's gone from a handful of people who are following Jesus to a giant uh, social movement in Jerusalem, just sort of this grassroots um, you know, thing that's gaining momentum. 
And uh, one of the things that happens is as it's growing, the, the powers that be, particularly the religious powers, are becoming more and more opposed or um, hostile to uh, this movement, to this, this new Christian movement. And, uh, and so we find ourselves with this new person um, who's kind of becoming the face of the new movement. His name is Stephen. And Stephen uh, is, is, is in fairly public places, and he's talking about Christianity in some fairly, um, well, in some fairly challenging ways to the status quo. Um, he's saying things that are fairly revolutionary to the Jewish systems, the Jewish religious systems. He's saying things like, hey, Jesus was actually uh, not just uh, someone who died and came back to life, which was challenging enough. He's saying that Jesus Christ was actually the final sacrificial lamb, and, and, and he dies for our sins. And, there, and if that's true, then we don't need the temple anymore. We don't need the Jewish temple anymore. And he's saying if Jesus is the way to knowing God, then we don't need the law anymore, or the function that the law has is no longer necessary. And we may hear that and say, big deal. What the, that's, not a, that's not a big deal. But the Jewish leaders of the day, um, to them, that was a huge assault on their whole understanding of what religion was of what walking with the God of the Bible was. And so um, they're really mad. They are, oh, they're just, they're, they're, in fact, they would say this is blasphemy. To, to attack the temple, to attack the law of the Old Testament is blasphemy, and it actually deserves capital punishment. And so um, they, uh, they, they rile up a crowd, and they say, hey, and, you know, what, he, what Stephen's saying is blasphemy. And then Stephen goes on to this long speech and actually goes into, well, actually, no, I'm not. I'm actually talking about what all of the Old Testament, what all of the law of Moses and the temple were pointing to, which is Jesus Christ. And, uh, but they don't buy it, right? They, they would, uh, they, you know, they, this is basically like somebody who comes out and says, you know, to someone who owns a gym, a gymnasium, hey, the most recent exercise study says that um, workouts at home are more effective than the one at the gym. What's a gym owner going to say? They're going to be really angry. And they're going to attack this. And that's exactly what happens with Stephen. They come after him. And they actually are so mad that they form a lynch mob, basically. And they attack Stephen. And that's where our story picks up. And so if you've got a Bible or you want to read on in your handout, that's where we're going to pick up. Uh, if I can find it. On my, here it is. And the wind plays six with my pages. Here it is. Um, this is where we pick up. And so uh, they, they're really mad at Stephen for everything he has just said. And they, uh, and they come together and it says in verse 54, Now when they, that is the religious leaders, when they heard the things that Stephen was saying, these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out all the more. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And, they went, and, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. And when he had said it, this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. 
And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went out preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowd was with one accord, and the crowd with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they saw, oh sorry, when they heard and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was much joy in that city. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at your word um, tonight, that uh, as it's breezy, as we're chilly, um, that we would be able to pay attention by the power of your spirit, and that we would be comforted and nourished by it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so obviously, you know, as we're reading this story tonight, um, there's a huge feeling of abandonment, right? If you were to place yourself uh, in this moment of what's going on in this text, it would feel uh, like crap, honestly. It would feel terrible. If you were this young group of Christians, and all of a sudden, this happens to you. This lynch mob gathers together and pretty brutally kills one of the rising leaders of the movement. Um, it would be pretty, pretty discouraging, and you would be asking all kinds of questions, like, where is God in this moment? What is up with this? Has God abandoned this man? Has God abandoned us? And yet, as we study this, what I want us to see tonight is that actually, behind the scenes, God is amazingly faithful, both to this individual and to his church. And so we're going to look at that, and then we're going to see how God is faithful to us. So first, let's look at how God is faithful to Stephen. Look back at verse 54. It tells us right here how bad it gets, right? How serious and acute this problem is. Um, for this man, how, how utterly rejected he is by the powerful and the oppressive uh, powers that be. They, they hear him and they are enraged. They grind their teeth at him. This is anger that we don't really very often see in our society today. Like this level of pure hatred directed at another human. Uh, verse 57, it says it gets even worse. They plug their ears. They rush at him. They throw him out of, a out of the city, and they kill him by throwing giant stones on him um, that would effectively you know, crush him to death. Uh, that, on its face, looks like some of the most profound abandonment and rejection that we can think of. I, I, I quite honestly can't think of a more um, truly brutal and graphic rejection of, of a human being. Um, and, and, and in all of this, I would be if you were in their shoes and you're, you're a Christian and you're seeing, you're like, where was God? We just saw God do these amazing miracles. We just saw somebody who was not walking, paralyzed for years and years, all of a sudden start walking. We've seen all these amazing things happen. And now one of our best rising stars gets brutally beaten to death by an, an enraged crowd. 
I would be left thinking, where was God in that moment? Was, was Stephen absolutely just abandoned? Leave him alone. And yet, it's amazing because even in the midst of that moment, Luke, the author of Acts, is very clear that just as it seems basically that, that Stephen has been abandoned, that God, Christ himself, the whole Godhead, is amazingly present with Stephen. Look at verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, right there, it tells us that nothing less than the power of God himself is in, with, and around Stephen. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells us in John 16 that one of the main gifts that the Holy Spirit will, will, will give his people is the courage and the faith and the hope and the power to endure when we are rejected by human beings, when we're rejected by men. In fact, in John 16, Jesus says, but when that helper or that Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, listen to this, he will bear witness about me. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. They will throw you out of the houses of worship. And he says, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will say they are doing service to God. I mean, that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is saying, this is going to happen where they're going to, the religious leaders are going to hate you so much they're going to kill you. And in that moment, nothing less than the Holy Spirit, God himself, will be there to encourage, strengthen, and fortify their faith. And look what happens. That's exactly what happens, is that the Holy Spirit fills Stephen with incredible grace incredible power so that he can endure what would have been an excruciating death with prayer and compassion for his enemies. It's, that's inc- I mean, that's incredible. And it, but look, it's not just the Holy Spirit who's with Stephen. It says, it says later on, he says, he gazed up into heaven, he saw the glory of God. He saw the glory of God. Here are the, the Jews accusing him of blaspheming God. Of, of these, they're basically saying, God has cursed you, but what does Luke say? He says, no, the glory of God has been revealed to this man more clearly than to anyone else. So much so that he, I mean, like we sang, the clouds are rolled back for Stephen. His faith becomes sight in that moment. And he sees Jesus on his throne standing Standing, And this is the only place in Scripture after Jesus is ascended where we see Jesus standing up. And most commentators think that it's, it's Jesus standing to welcome the first person to be killed for their faith into his presence. So, I mean, this is so poignant, Luke tells us, so powerful that even his death is not really death. This is amazing. Look what he says. He says in verse 60, And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And we know that that is a figure of speech for death, but it's such, he says, it's just, it's basically like he fell asleep. A bloody, brutalized mess of a human being who who, who he knew at that moment, he's with Jesus. His faith had become sight. We're, uh, we're working through the, the Westminster Confession that like Jess talked about in uh, one of our small groups. And, and one of the questions asked this, it asks, what happens to Christians when they die? And the Confession says this, it says, the souls of believers are at their death 
made perfect in holiness, and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united with Christ, rest in their graves till the resurrection. What is that saying? It's saying that the moment Stephen died, God was not abandoning him. In fact, God was more present with him. In fact, he was more present with Christ than he ever had been in his entire life. The worst abandonment possible, a murderous crowd, facing a murderous crowd alone, killed in a brutal way, and yet Luke tells us that he was more present with Christ than he ever was up until that moment. Now how does that happen? How is, how is, how is he not abandoned by God? Well, the rest of the gospel tells us, tells us that this can only happen because Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was abandoned so that Stephen would never be abandoned. Jesus hangs on the cross and he cries out to God. He cries out to his Father in the throne of heaven. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And he gets no answer. And he dies alone. And he is, he is buried alone. so that Stephen would never be abandoned. Now I want to try and drive this home to where we live in New Mexico a little bit. There are people who will tell us in southern New Mexico, there, is, there, are, there are people of faith who will say that God won't let bad things happen to Christians. There are people who will say things like, God wants you happy, God wants you healthy, and they'll say things like, hey, if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, then God will protect you. And things like illness and poverty and death won't come to you. And some of you grew up in churches like this. Some of you have friends that have grown up in this sort of environment. And, and friends, this is called the prosperity gospel. That your blessing, your, your happiness is contingent upon or depends upon how much faith you have. And, and what happens in this prosperity gospel is that basically God requires that you have a certain level of faith to protect and bless you. And if bad things happen, well, that must mean that you don't have enough faith, that there's something defective in how much faith you have. And so if, if that was the rubric, then we would look at someone like Stephen and say, well, actually, he doesn't trust God very much. He, God must not be close to him because he just got absolutely butchered outside of, a outside of the city. But friends, this prosperity gospel is absolutely opposed to what the Bible teaches about grace. The prosperity gospel makes faith a work. It makes faith something that you have to do to earn God's blessing. And that's far from the gospel that the Bible teaches. Jesus tells us over and over again, the Bible tells us over again that we are saved and loved by God, not based on the quantity or the strength or the quality of our faith, but by simple trust in the Jesus who was abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. That Jesus is the thing we trust in. We don't trust in our own trust. So, Frankly, don't listen to any church that would tell you that you will be rich, that you will be healthy, that you will be blessed because of your trust. Acts 7 tells us that there are tragic things that will happen to Christians, and God will never abandon his children. He's more present with them in the tragic things. He never abandons them. Now, 
that's the first thing we see here is that God never abandons his, his, Stephen. But what about the church? What about, what about the bigger community of the Christians? Does God abandon the church? If God's faithful to this one person, what about the larger movement? And it seems, again, the evidence seems to indicate that they're on their own. Imagine the effect that this has on their church. The news would spread like wildfire. wildfire. Hey, Stephen was killed today. What? Oh my gosh, we have to hide. We have, are, what, are they coming for us too? Well, I don't know. Maybe they are. Well, what are we going to do? I have to get my kids. Well, we got to get out of here. We, I, the, I, I, was a, I, I was involved in this Christian thing. Are they coming for me? And so what happens? This, this movement that was growing and has momentum absolutely fragments, right? What does it tell us in verse 8? There arose that day a great persecution against the church. This riles up the people who hate Christian. They say, hey, if we can get away with killing one of them, let's just nip this whole thing in the bud and go back to the status quo where we have power. And so suddenly Jerusalem is a very dangerous place to be a Christian. And so what happens? The Christian movement scatters. They, they spread out. They, go, they, they get out of town. And in fact, there's this person named Saul, and we'll learn more about him later, who is literally going door to door, dragging men and women out. Place yourself in their shoes. You hear that the friend next door who was going to church with you has suddenly been dragged out of their house by the powers that be and thrown in prison. And oh, his wife or her husband was too. You would be utter discouragement. The, the, I know the first thing I would be thinking is, where is God in this? Has God abandoned this, this community? Has God abandoned this church? I know I would have tons of questions. I would feel angry. I would feel sad. And lest we think that this doesn't happen anymore, a few weeks ago in late November, in a church in Ethiopia, this exact same thing happened where there was a group of Christians worshiping in a church in northern Ethiopia, and some Eritrean rebels ran into the church and killed 800 Christians in one day. This happened four weeks, I mean, four months ago, friends, that this very same thing happens. Women and children, they had, I was just reading the article today as I was thinking about this, and um, it was this exact same thing. Of, of chill. They had lines up of shoes of people who'd been killed in their church in northern Africa. And I'm sure that the Christians in Ethiopia who are still alive are saying, where in the world was God that Sunday? And it's not just in Ethiopia. The church in China, the church in Iran, the church in Burma, it's a place that's not a very good place to be a Christian, where it seems like the church is scattered and ravaged. That's the word that it says here. Paul was ravaging the church. And it, we look at this and we say, all the evidence says that God has abandoned this community. And to be frank, there are many moments the last year that I have felt that same feeling, not on nearly the same level that our brothers and sisters in Ethiopia feel, but I look at our churches in the midst of COVID and the last year, and I think, has God abandoned the church even in America, even in New Mexico? It's easy for us to feel like our church is just not what it used to be. Has God left us? 
And just as God is faithful to Stephen, we see in this church that God is faithful to his church. This ends on this verse 3 and 4, and 2 and 3, it ends on such a low note. Sadness for a buried, dead martyr, witness to Jesus and the church being ravaged. But then look what happens in verse 4. We see God faithful to it in the midst of it. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowd with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And they heard him and they saw the signs he did. And unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And what's the last verse? It says in verse 8, And there was much joy in that city. So what's going on here? Well, as this church is scattered, one of, the, uh, one of the followers of Jesus, Philip, goes down to a town called Samaria. And uh, he begins preaching the gospel there. He says, I can't not preach this thing, but I can't be in Jerusalem, so we'll go to Samaria, and I'll start preaching there. And what happens? Well, the same miracles, the same incredible things that were happening in Jerusalem start happening in Samaria. People who are physically lame, who should be paralyzed, start walking. People who are possessed by evil spirits are healed. The same signs of God's presence, of God's blessing on the church start happening outside of Jerusalem, start happening there. But look what, I think verse, verse 4 is amazing when you compare it with verse 2. What does it say? There was great joy in that city. Compare that with verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation out of him. You go from this moment of great sadness. God, where are you? Why did this person die? Why does our church seem to be abandoned? To, oh my goodness, God is still working. There's still, God is still at work in and growing the community of believers. And it's a joyful thing. The church goes from overwhelming sorrow to joy. And there's, so, there's more actually going on here than just that. Back in Acts 1, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And what he meant is he said the gospel is not just going to be something that's proclaimed in Jerusalem. It's something for the whole world. And actually what's going on here is that it's, it's this, this scattering that happens that is the, the tinder that ignites the gospel going out into the entire world. And in many ways, you and I gathered here today are the beneficiaries of that scattering, of that initial persecution that scattered the first Christians and sent them around the world to proclaim the news of Jesus Christ as King and as resurrected Lord. And so we see Jesus' words coming to fruition, and it's because of the persecution. It's because of Stephen's death that it catapults the church into new action, into new levels of conversation, of preaching the gospel, of charity, of healing, and of love. What does this mean? It means that even when the church is most afflicted and most opposed, those are the moments when the church is most effective and least abandoned. Those are the moments when God is most active and most faithful to the church. And the things that seem the most destructive, the most ravaging to the church, God is capable of using to the greatest good for the church. What do we learn from this? 
Well, I hope the point is clear, that God is faithful to individual Christians and to his church. Jesus tells us that when he says the last words that he says to his followers, he says, I will be with you always until the end of the age. That is, until I see you face to face, until faith becomes sight and the trump resounds, I will be with you. And that that is true for Stephen, that that is true for the Acts Church, and that is true for you, and that is true for us. God is never going to leave us. Does that mean everything's going to go well for you? No, I can't promise that. I can't promise that your life is going to be easy. Stephen died an incredibly painful death, and yet Jesus was with him in it. But I, but I can promise you that even if the worst thing should happen, even if you should die for your faith, that Jesus will not abandon you even in that moment. Now what does this do for us? Well, first I think it brings us great comfort. It brings us comfort in the most extreme that should we even die, we're with Christ. But it brings us comfort that trickles all the way down to those other moments that we feel alone. All the way to the little moments that we're alone in our apartment or our homes or our dorms. When you're on a Zoom class and everybody else has their camera off and you're like, I am so alone right now. It brings us comfort that Jesus is with us in those moments. The Bible tells us that it's the moments that we are feeling the most abandoned that God is present with us. He knows the sadness, he knows the frustration, and he's with us in it. It also brings us, I think, comfort when we're persecuted. We've never experienced the kind of persecution that the Ethiopian church experiences or that the Acts church experiences. But that doesn't mean that we haven't been or won't be persecuted teased, mocked, belittled for our faith, maybe, God forbid, actually physically persecuted for our faith. But, but we can trust that God is faithful in those moments, that he will not abandon us in that. And there's so much comfort in that. And what that does is it gives us courage to stand firm in our faith. It gives us trust in the power of the gospel that even when we're scattered, we can go proclaim the goodness and the power of the gospel. It gives us hope in heaven that even if we are abandoned, we have nothing less than the arms of Jesus to look forward for. It gives us confidence in, a, from, in the God of the Bible who would defend us. I'm reminded, I'll close with this, of the words of Saul who became Paul. Uh, Saul, as is introduced in this story, we'll, we'll look at this later down the line, becomes Paul the Apostle. And Paul, after his conversion, just goes on an absolute rampage around the world telling people about the church. And he ends up getting in trouble himself. He ends up getting arrested and ultimately killed for his faith. But before that moment, he's in prison, and he writes a letter to a church in Asia Minor, in, a letter to the Philippian church, and he says this. While he's in prison awaiting his own death, after he killed Stephen, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I can't help but think that he was thinking of Stephen when he writes that. That he's thinking over the person whose death he oversaw and said he was more present with God, he was more right than I ever knew at that moment. 
who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even rule all things. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm in the Lord. He looks at the person he killed and said, God was present with that. I can be that same. When I face my death, I can be that same trust that God will not abandon me. And you can too in the abandonment that you face. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for what this shows us tonight, that you are good, that you neither abandon us as individuals, nor do you abandon your church. Give us trust in that, in the little things and in the big things, and may you be glorified in it. May we be bold to proclaim the hope that we have that you will never abandon us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.